Welcome to OAC Vancouver's podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We believe that Jesus is needed and relevant for people in Vancouver today. The message of God's love and promise of wholeness was destined to be experienced within a faith community that worships, studies scripture, and prays together. We warmly welcome you to journey with us towards greater connection, purpose, and peace. We'll be sharing our recorded services and conversations with health and wellness experts. Enjoy. Um, I'm going to ask you uh, if you have a favorite hymn. We shared three with you this morning, but what is your favorite hymn? And I know some of you are might be new to this Christian Christianity thing, might not have grown up in church. So let me broaden the definition of hymn for you. Hymn is taken from the Greek term hymnos, and it really means just a song of praise to God. So any song of praise, whether that is a contemporary song, a modern hymn, um, we'd love to hear you share that with us. Uh, thank you so much to Jesse, who already shared that Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus is one of their favorites. Uh, and I believe we also had somebody say, Be Thou My Vision, uh, which we shared with you this morning, is another favorite. Just going to give you a few moments to contribute to that discussion in the chat. Uh, while I just say how much I appreciate that um, OAC is a place that values diversity, not just in terms of cultural heritage, but our generational diversity. And something that we've really missed uh, since the pandemic set in was the uh, a sort of monthly uh, tradition or ritual we would have in coming together early in the morning, one Sabbath a month, and it would be led by our elders, Emilio and Hannah Lore, right here in this chapel. And we would have an early morning hymn sing together. And it's something that I really do miss. I know a lot of our seniors miss. So it's one of the reasons today that we just wanted to reflect on uh, the beauty of these hymns. Uh, thank you, Hans, for sharing that one of your favorite hymns is the Lily of the Valley. And Pastor Colin, to God be the glory, uh, also a, a favorite among many. Oh, and from Mary, I come to the garden alone. Dan says, I surrender all. Definitely a moving hymn. Uh, thanks, Ruby, for letting us know your favorite is It Is Well. And Tess, I'm going to come back to you in a moment. Some of you probably share a favorite hymn with um, one of these top eight hymns that I'm going to put on a slide here. Oh, Nima says, Because He Lives. I, I held off on Tess's response because... Um, you'll see that in the top eight uh, hymns of all time, which I'm going to classify for these, this purpose as being uh, older than 200 years, uh, we have eight hymns that are widely known and sung. And again, there's not a lot of rigorous scientific evidence proving this. I just cross-referenced a couple of lists of the most sung or most popular hymns and we can see the dates there of how long we've been singing these so tess who shared uh, amazing grace was one of her favorite songs 
written back in 1779. Uh, onward Christian soldiers didn't make it onto this list. Um, and thank you, Emmelyn, for commenting. Yes, we know that your dad misses uh, being here to host Heritage Sabbath. So hopefully he's experiencing a little bit of that joy this morning. Um, going back to that uh, list of hymns, I wanted you to notice that Be Thou My Vision, which we sang together today, um, was one of the oldest hymns we have. And you can see that all creatures of our God and King attributed to uh, St. Francis of Assisi um, and a mighty fortress, which we'll talk a little bit about the history today, going back to 1528. But not a lot of um, popular hymns today or well-known hymns today um, are found before the 1700s. And that is because for a long time in church history, only the literal psalms, only the psalms that uh, David and the psalmists wrote here in the Old Testament were allowed to be sung in church because they were canonized as the holy word of God. So worship uh, in, in common church worship, it didn't really include uh, for centuries a lot of the hymns and the worship songs that we know today. You know, I, I feel kind of fortunate that I did grow up in church singing hymns and you know i remember as a kid feeling like the language and the musical style was old-fashioned sometimes hard to sing sometimes the vocabulary was um, clunky and foreign to me but i do remember even at a young age hoping that during church that week we would sing one of my favorite songs because i remember i can tap into that memory of how it would make my heart feel when we sang a favorite hymn. So even as a young child, there were some of those songs in the hymnal that um, did something for me, that spoke to me. Uh, you know, again, growing up in church, um, maybe a little more uh, regimented or a little more disciplined expectation from families and young children who would attend church back in the day. And I remember I was allowed to do one of three things. If the sermon was boring and I didn't want to pay attention, I could draw nature doodles, I could read my Bible or, or lesson study, um, or I could read the hymnal. Those were the options if I was feeling a little bored and frustrated with the message. And I distinctly remember flipping through the hymnal and these words of poetry just um, surprising me and gripping my heart. They came from uh, a very old hymn called Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And just to think of it now, I mean, not really having an appreciation then of who wrote the hymn and where and when, but this was written in the 1700s by a gentleman named Robert Robinson. He was a barber's apprentice in London. What could he possibly have in common? How could he possibly speak to the heart of a young teen in rural Canada in the 90s? But he penned these words, Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing call for songs of loudest praise. 
teach me some melodious sonnet sung by flaming tongues above. But then the song shifts to a very real honesty, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. And this just resonated within my young teenage brain as the truest sort of existential um, experience of the great controversy within each and every one of us, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave this God I love. Back to the history of this early church where only um, the scriptures from the Old Testament, only the Psalms of the Old Testament were deemed worthy uh, to be included in holy worship in the divine service. You know, they really saw that anything crafted by um, human thought after this period of time was, you know, too corrupted by mortal flesh. And so uh, we see kind of this sad irony in our church history where these religious rules and maybe some good intentions actually undermined the teaching of the Bible. They somehow missed, can you imagine, or maybe the irony of singing Psalm 96.1, which says, sing to the Lord a new song because he's done marvelous things. And yet at the same time being restrained by the religious authorities to not live out those very instructions you know, one of the, the worst consequences of limiting songs of worship in our early church for um, centuries was that the poetry of David, the poetry of these psalmists, left out a significant element in praise. Do you know what that element is that's missing as we read through uh, the hundreds of psalms contained in the Bible? It's the name of Jesus. Can you imagine centuries of this New Testament church, these new covenant Christians were relegated to singing Old Testament hymns. Now, a couple years back, we had um, someone who'd regularly join our online worship chat and they would call us out every single time that uh, our praise team chose a song that didn't specifically mention Jesus. I think maybe they were worried about new age influence in contemporary music and they weren't maybe sure who we were actually singing to or, or what we were singing about. Um, still, we knew, we knew very clearly. So I remember uh, my task for a while was to sit in the balcony with the chat hosts and, um, and be able to give them the scriptural references on which our very modern contemporary praise songs were based on. So while David and the psalmist address this creator God, which yes, it includes Jesus, what is missing from those psalms are the expression, the story of Jesus' life, his teachings, his death, his resurrection. So this is what drove Isaac Watts to kind of rebel against these church rules and start writing hymns to fill the gap. This is why, where we can attribute that, that beautiful song, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. 
um, that is attributed to his desire to fill this gap in, in hymnology in his church. But you know what? There is, I guess, a blessing or a plus side to uh, these restrictions that the church felt for so long. It's why we would sometimes say that the hymns possess such rich uh, lyrical and poetic quality is because they first were written um, only as poems to be shared. So the authors didn't have the benefit of the music to convey tone of emotion. They had to really pack all of the emotional power into their choicest words, all while thinking about the syllables and the phraseology and the rhymes that helped commit the message to memory. These hymns remind me of uh, cans of condensed soup. They really pack a powerful punch. Uh, for example, I want to share with you uh, the lines of the doxology, which are shared by Christian faiths around the world. In these four lines, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above, you heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. In these four lines, in this short song, we see a deep and rich theology that speaks to the creator, the commander of heaven's angel armies, the triune or trinity nature of the God, and our very purpose as beings made to worship and a God worthy of worship. So that is another thing we can uh, thank the Reformation movement for. Yes, happy Reformation Day, who Martin Luther was. Now, he is also the person we can attribute to this Reformation, not just in um, getting people back to the Bible, making the Bible accessible to them by translating scripture into the commonly spoken languages. Uh, because at that point, they were just being, again, shared in Greek or Latin. <clears throat> but we have Martin Luther to thank for sort of challenging uh, as he became a student of theology and called out these practices that were not biblical. He also realized and recognized that uh, the parishioners were being distanced and removed from congregational singing, from participating in worshiping God. And as he read scripture, this was clearly a strong theme. And our purpose as God's children was to ascribe to him worship and praise. So it's Martin Luther himself, uh, after his 1517 uh, posting of his 95 thesis, who wrote uh, this beautiful hymn, uh, Ein Vesterburg ist unser Gott. Now, you would know that in English as a mighty fortress is our God. And such powerful words that still encourage us today, I would say, particularly in the time of uh, COVID, and though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. 
the prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little wor word shall fell him. <clears throat> Some of you I've, I'm seeing in our uh, chat feedback are saying uh, some more hymns. I'm so thankful that you're sharing some of these hymns. Um, my sister Ruby saying, well, why didn't How Great Thou Art make it into your top eight list? Again, only hymns that are older than uh, 200 years were on that list. And surprisingly, uh, How Great Thou Art is a little more recent than that. So I'm loving that you're sharing these hymns. For those of you who may not be familiar with these hymns, I hope you take a quick uh, snapshot or screenshot of this chat and go back and look up some of these lyrics, which we won't have time to unpack today, but I'm sure you're going to find some encouragement there. Marla shares in the sweet by and by, and my mother-in-law, Alice, is saying, and can it be? You know, when I first came to Oak Ridge, um, it was at a time where that current pastor, Pastor Manuel Silva, was fighting cancer. And he would often share that the song, the hymn bringing him comfort, was day by day. And at first, it really surprised me. Here is this like young, vigorous, contemporary, irrelevant uh, pastor. And out of all of the uh, library of songs that we were singing in church at OAC, we never sang day by day, and yet that was the hymn that he frequently referred to as a source of strength and encouragement for him. So please go back and uh, revisit some of these powerful lyrics. <clears throat> so again, what Martin Luther did, what he started uh, over 500 years ago, was a shift in how uh, congregations come together, how the, how the church actually looked like, and how much more biblically driven the practices would be. You know, before uh, this church hit the pandemic, um, there was a lot of speculation. There was a lot of a study being done by myself and, and my colleagues about what the state of our church in North America was at and where it was going. And we could see that the um, you know, swell of sort of the megachurch movement was starting to uh, fade, was starting to crumble in some areas. These churches that had been built around kind of a celebrity pastor, a really powerful preacher, when leadership shifted, um, the, the sort of following of those leaders also took a hit. Um, we also think uh, we're seeing that the boomer and Gen Xers, who maybe were a little bit more consumerist-driven, were being replaced by millennials who just wouldn't show up if there was no substance and meaning for them. So a couple years ago, I was reading about a contemporary a church. It was a church that had been experiencing a lot of growth, and suddenly the pastor just said, you know what, from here on out, um, no more singing, no more singing at all. It didn't matter if it was contemporary music or uh, modern praise. He's like, we'll have, you know, professional give us a bit of a musical interlude around prayer, but it's just going to be an hour of hard-hitting teaching, biblical preaching. Um, and, you know, apparently it was a huge hit for a lot of the uh, sort of Silicon Valley academically minded individuals 
who maybe didn't want to get in touch and all up in their feelings at that time, you know, and I'm all for Bible study and I'm all for being uh, innovative and being accessible to people who are new to Christianity and who maybe were frustrated with a past experience of church. But I really um, can't buy into that strategy or that uh, programming of worship or church as really offering the full meal deal when it comes to discipleship and spiritual growth. We were made to worship in community. And yes, worship is more than songs. It's prayer, it's discussion, it's learning and understanding. Um, but I had to wonder, what would this pastor do when they started to teach and preach and study the Gospels? Because in both Matthew and Mark, we see that Jesus himself, as he concluded the Passover meal with his disciples, it says they sung a hymn together before departing to the Mount of Olives. So how would you explain? Yes, Jesus worshipped with singing, with hymns and songs, but don't worry, we're not going to be doing that anymore. It's too awkward and uncomfortable. Uh, well, again, the New Testament uh, teaching is that singing was vital to spiritual experience personally, but also sharing the gospel message. One of the most powerful passages about what a song can do is found in Ephesians 5.19, Ephesians 5.19, where it says being, oops, sorry, my bad. I have the wrong slide up there. Um, I'll just read to you from Acts 16.25. Acts 16.25 tells the story of Paul and Silas as they were in prison. So they were locked up in a dungeon in a cell. And it says, as they were praying and singing hymns to God, the prisoners around them were listening. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the very foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosened. This is the power of a song of praise to God that it uh, God blessed them in singing their testimony. God blessed them in proclaiming their trust in him by um, creating sort of this uh, very visceral and physical echo of what was happening in their hearts and their souls, which was freedom and liberation. Ephesians 5.19, the same Paul who experienced the power of a song, the power of a hymn, now writes to the churches uh, in Ephesus, in Colossae, in uh, the Corinthians. And this is where I'll just read you one of the texts, but you can see that he is encouraging all these new young house churches to adopt this practice. In Ephesians 5.19, he says, Be filled with the Spirit. Address one another in psalms and hymns with spiritual singing. Make a melody to the Lord with your heart. Give thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The earliest biblical reference uh, non-biblical reference or post-biblical reference or post 
New Testament reference to this young early Christian church. Uh, maintaining a practice of hymn singing can be found uh, in a letter from a Roman statesman named uh, Pliny the Elder, and he sent it to the Roman emperor at the time, about 113 AD. And he was sent to sort of investigate and interrogate this new Christian movement, this new religious cult that they were suspicious of that was gaining traction and ground. And um, his report said simply that the extent of their religious practice involves meeting on a fixed day before dawn to sing responsively, so that's kind of like a, a call and echo response, to Jesus as he were a god, and to bind themselves in an oath to live according to his way. Any Mandalorian fans out there, your ears should be perking up right now because the early Christian church were known as people of the way. Um, so more than just nostalgia, more than just tradition, we should be exploring these hymns as part of our devotional and personal worship diet. Uh, we, when we sing these traditional songs, these classic hymns, I want you to think that we are taking part, we are sharing in a legacy of faith that spans millennia. I mean, we join with voices of martyrs, with church founders and, and spiritual giants that came before us when we sing the same words to the very same Almighty God. Our voices then echo this movement which is so much bigger than ourselves and our present time and place we recognize that these hymns are not antiquated artifacts, but they are a heritage which we share with centuries of other believers, and they have a special value to them. It's not that newer worship songs can't also do this, because as I said, we often um, look at the backstory to new and contemporary songs of praise, and you can uh, hear interviews of how these uh, contemporary songwriters are inspired by reading and studying scripture as well. So, you know, one of the songs that uh, we've been singing more recently that's really had a grip on people during the pandemic is The Blessing, which is 100% right out of uh, scripture as well and doesn't mention the name of Jesus. Uh, so whether you're listening to Graves into Gardens or Waymaker or This is How I Fight My Battles, be inspired, um, take the power and the encouragement from that, but don't forget to also revisit some of these classic hymns and find in them a solidarity of resilience, uh, a legacy of victory. Every time I sing Amazing Grace or Silent Night, I think about how it's not just my heartstrings that are being tugged, but how many countless other individuals either were moved into a relationship or a knowledge of Jesus as they sang those stanzas, or how many hearts recommitted their lives to loving this God and growing deeper in relationship with him, all because of the power of these words and these tunes. 
the hymns are such a powerful art form. And they communicate the gospel in a way that is often much more effective than a message or a sermon or preaching because they are written in a way that really cements uh, the message into our memories, that makes it easy to recall and, uh, and, and speak to us, even when there aren't musicians uh, playing the music for us. Now we come to a time and a place where uh, we've missed, we really are feeling the loss of being able to come together and, and, and sing. And as Oscar has shared, yes, there is this fellowship, this bonding that happens in the family of God when we sing together. There is a healing power, I totally agree with you, Oscar, that is mind, body, and soul when we, we sing harmoniously. I think that was Mihaly who was saying uh, it's the harmony uh, of, of the music that we produce that also brings the body of, of Christ, the family of God, into harmony as well. It's like our whole beings start to, to resonate with that. And it's almost like the uh, instruction to like fake it till you make it. Sometimes it can feel awkward or we can feel embarrassed or unsure. Should I be singing these lyrics if I'm not yet convicted of them? but they can speak to us and they can rewire and reprogram our mindset to really emulate and go through the motions, which can then open the floodgate of feeling and conviction by the Holy Spirit. And so now, while we're missing and craving this opportunity to come together and sing, I want to encourage you to do a few of the following things, to explore and imagine and dream with me. How can we recreate um, this experience that we've lost and that we're missing? Perhaps you know somebody who uh, is gifted with ASL and sign language, and maybe that's something we need to be doing more, is um, learning to express and join collectively in signing the um, words of our songs of praise so that we can feel we are doing something together in unison. Or I, as I often encourage, um, you know, if we cannot uh, belt out with our full, the fullness of our lungs, uh, these songs, maybe our best is just to hum along, but still you can hum a harmony, you can hum the melody. Um, Think about some of your favorite a cappella groups and how much they create just with like percussive sounds uh, in their throats. So again, there's another strategy for you to engage uh, with these hymns that are let out, whether they're pre-recorded songs from the sofa or it's somebody in your presence. Clap, tap your toes, hum along, learn to sign and do some of the gestures and the actions that will communicate the message, that will show um, that you are in harmony, you are participating and experiencing and trying to connect with these words and these messages as well. Because um, music is not going anywhere, I don't know what happened to that church who cut out all uh, congregational singing together, but I can tell you I have read the end of this book, and uh, while we don't hear a lot of hymns in the New Testament, Luke is the most musical gospel, and it contains three or four 
songs specifically, but the, the book of the New Testament that actually includes the most music is Revelation, which is the story of our future. And for you Bible nerds out there who want to challenge, there are at least 15 hymns captured in the account of Revelation. So I encourage you to um, try and find 15, maybe more, hymns. Again, remembering that a hymn is defined as a song of praise to God. But I want to leave you with this thought that we will, if not here under this roof, gather to sing again. There is a day coming, Revelation says, where a great, innumerable multitude will gather in heaven from every nation, tribe, and tongue. And we are going to sing hallelujah, salvation and glory, and all power belong to our God. And there is no virus. There is no um, disease. There is no disability that will keep us from singing at the top of our lungs in unison. Thank you for listening to OAC Vancouver's podcast. Learn more at oacvancouver.ca. If you're in Vancouver, join us for worship Saturdays at 11 a.m. at 5350 Bailey Street. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate, review, and subscribe. God bless you and have a wonderful day.